Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, The Eleventh Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests on Blog Talk Radio as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Now let me ask you a question. Do you remember where you were when JFK was assassinated? Or are you too young to remember that? But have you heard about the JFK assassination all your life? That's more likely. (laughs) Tell me, have you ever wanted to know more about who killed Kennedy and was it a conspiracy? Can you imagine an assassination of the President of the United States of America and 50 years later, we're still talking about it. We're still trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out what happened. Tell me, what do you know about the single bullet theory? We've all heard about that one, haven't we? And did you ever see Oliver Stone's movie, JFK? And What did you think about that? Now, would you like to meet someone who has some of the answers that we're looking for? Now, are you ready to learn about the JFK assassination? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Today I will be introducing you to my guest, who is an author, and he will provide us with informative information about the Kennedy assassination. I'm pleased to announce that our show today is featured on the front page at Blog Talk Radio Live. I am honored to be a featured host, and we now have over one million listeners. Also, LinkedIn has announced that my profile was one of the top 5% most viewed during 2012. So thank you to all you out there who went and viewed me. (laughs) Sounds like I was in a mortuary. (laughs) Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. He became interested in the JFK assassination after seeing a bootleg copy of the famous Zapruder film of President Kennedy's fatal motorcade in 1972. He's been researching the assassination ever since. His entertaining book draws on his deep knowledge and personal research into the president's murder and is therefore based on actual events and people surrounding the assassination. He has interviewed many key witnesses to the assassination of John Kennedy, including Bill Fraser, Gene Hill, Mary Merman, Beverly Oliver, and Bill Newman. He has also interviewed two surgeons who treated JFK at Parkland Hospital. He has even interviewed Marina Oswald. He has also met many researchers who have written books on the assassination. He is a trial lawyer from Fort Worth, Texas, and he specializes in personal injury and criminal defense. He was born in Bertram, Texas, and grew up in Fort Worth. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show today Jack Duffy. Hi, Jack. How are you today? Hi, January. Good to be with you. 
Oh, it's nice to have you on the show, and I love talking Kennedy Talk. I've been doing it just like you for many, many years. Why do you think this is something that we're still talking about 50 years later? Well, the reason why it's still being talked about 50 years later is because we don't know the whole story right now, even today, about what really happened to President Kennedy. There's lots of theories. There's lots of conjecture. There's lots of uh, different Uh ideas. But we don't have the whole story, and I I don't know if we ever will. Uh, uh, Only those who believe that Oswald killed Kennedy are satisfied that the story's been told, but that's 20% of the population. 80% of the the United States population does not believe that anymore. So Uh it, it it is an unsolved murder, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other people. Well, you know, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think it was probably the perfect crime of the last century just because we're still talking about it, and so many theories are out there. It's amazing. How did you get interested in it? Uh, When you first saw this bootleg Zapruder film, was that when it happened for you? Yes. uh, My father, uh, who was a doctor in Fort Worth, uh, had seen President Kennedy the morning of the day he was killed when he gave his last speech in Fort Worth, and Kennedy Uh walked right by my father. And my dad saw this film at a friend's house in 1972 who had gotten it from a researcher. This was before the film was ever shown on television. So uh-huh. very, few people, very, few, very few people had ever seen the film. Uh, yeah. My dad saw it, and he was shocked by it. He told me about it, and I went and saw it the next day, and that's what got me interested in this because I knew when I saw that film, like everybody else who's seen it, that mm-hmm. it, proves, it proves to me overwhelmingly that the fatal shot that killed the president came from the right front, from the grass hill, not from Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh-huh. And that's what got uh-huh. my interest in it. And ever since then, I've been studying the case and researching it. Well, how old were you when uh, Kennedy was killed? I was seven years old. I was in second grade at Bruce Schilke Elementary School in Fort Worth, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I know. Isn't that amazing? Because so many people, uh, it's a defining moment in their lives, uh, just like for our parents, Pearl Harbor, and uh, for our children, I think it'll be uh, uh, 9-11. But for our generation, it was definitely that assassination that just... uh, was everyone remembers where they were, and I think that's so amazing. Um, so now you got interested in it uh, when you were in 70, 1972, and so you've spent 40 years looking at this assassination. And in your opinion, what is the strongest evidence of a conspiracy? Well, there's so much evidence that proves a conspiracy, but if I was going to pick out one piece of evidence that to me is the most powerful, it's the testimony and the observations of the doctors in Dallas. Uh, There were 22 surgeons that tried to save John F. Kennedy in Parkland Hospital, and Uh I've seen interviews with all of them. I've talked with two of them myself, became friends with two of those doctors, and Uh all the doctors, except maybe one or two, uh, to my knowledge, have said the same thing over the last 50 years, and that is that the fatal wound that caused the president's death was fired was caused by a bullet that came from the right front from the grass, you know, because they observed a large exit wound in the rear of the president's head where a bullet had clearly blown out the back of the head, and mm-hmm. that bullet could not have come from the rear. So if that's true, and 22 doctors said it was true, and yeah. the autopsy pictures support this, when you look at the actual uh, autopsy pictures, the real ones, not the ones that were faked up, the real photos show the back of the president's head completely blown out. Uh, that is irrefutable proof of a frontal shot, which means Oswald didn't kill Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I agree with you. A lot of people, uh, why do you think it happened that they all just uh, created this uh, uh, situation with Oswald with a single bullet and one man? H- how do you think that came about? Was it uh, Johnson wanted to, uh, or was it the Kennedys? Who who did that? As far as, like, what do you mean, like a cover-up? or Yeah. Well, I think the people that killed the president uh, were, connected with the Central Intelligence Agency and with organized crime, uh, and uh-huh. also uh, anti-Castro Cubans were involved, and I'll tell you why later. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three of those groups had a motive to kill Kennedy, and uh, if, that's, if, that's what I, if that's what really happened, which I think the evidence supports that that's very likely what happened, then they had to have somebody take the fall for the assassination. If they had uh, professional killers kill Kennedy, uh, they were not going to you know, be able to get away with this unless they had some patsy to p- uh, put the blame on, and that patsy mm-hmm. was Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, now, what what role Oswald played in the in the whole scenario, we're not sure to this day. He said yeah. he was a patsy when he was interviewed on national television, uh, and there's a lot of evidence that tends to indicate 50 years later that he was telling the truth, and he probably didn't even fire a shot at Kennedy's motorcade, and I'll explain why in, later on. Okay. Well, you know, um, I kind of uh, I feel that he was a patsy because 
in my opinion, most people who would have committed that kind of assassination if they were a psychopath like, say, John Booth uh, Wilkes, John Wilkes Booth, he took credit for it. I mean, if you right. had killed the president, wouldn't you want to be famous? Right. Uh, virtually every assassin that's killed anybody in our history has always taken credit for it when they got caught or maybe yeah. never tried to deny it. Oswald's the only one that denied his guilt uh, on the Kennedy case. Uh, what are the strange deaths that occurred uh, after that were connected with uh, the JFK murder that kind of caught your attention? <laughs> well, there's quite a few here. Uh, uh, one of the more important strange deaths was Dorothy Kilgallen, who was uh, a New York Times reporter. She, uh-huh. uh, she was given the only private interview with Jack Ruby during his trial in Dallas. She interviewed him in March of 64. Uh-huh. Uh, in the judges' chambers, uh, she later told friends that she had discovered information that was going to blow the Kennedy assassination story wide open. Wow. And then on November the 8th of 65, she was found dead at her New York townhouse, and they ruled it a heart seizure due to drug overdose. Uh, uh-huh. That's always been a very suspicious death because uh, a lot of people do not believe she committed suicide. A lot of people believe she was murdered to shut her up because she knew something that Ruby had told her. Now, what that was, we'll never know. Uh-huh. That's one of the strange deaths. Uh, one of the other more important strange deaths was Hale Boggs, who was actually on the Warren Commission. He was one of the one of the two members of the Warren Commission that did not agree with their conclusions. Oh. Uh, he, he didn't want to sign the Warren report, but he did so uh, under duress. Uh, he felt that the FBI had withheld evidence and had lied to the commission, and he believed there was a conspiracy, and that he died in a suspicious plane crash in Alaska in October of 72. <laughs> Uh, they never found the wreckage of the plane, and I talked with one of his relatives in Dealey Plaza a year ago. She was there uh, on one of the anniversaries, and she told me herself that, his, that her family believes that Hell Boggs was murdered by the government, uh, that they, they believe the plane crash was uh, was arranged, it was sabotage, and that they uh-huh. had him killed to shut him up because he knew too much about what the truth was. So that's another strange death. Uh, oh, yeah. Three other people connected with this, uh, Sam Giancana, Johnny Roselli and Charles Nicoletti were all uh, underworld figures. All these, uh, all three of these men were murdered uh, before they could be brought to Washington in the mid-'70s to testify uh-huh. before the House Committee. Wow. Uh, the House Select Committee had subpoenaed all three of these men to come in and testify. Giancana was murdered in June of 1975 in his home. Uh, uh-huh. Roselli was murdered in Miami in August of 1976 and dumped in the bay uh, in an old drum. <laughs> and Charles Nicoletti was murdered in March of 1977. Uh, he was shot in the head in Chicago before he could be brought to Washington. Uh, so there's many other people besides them that were killed, uh, or died suspiciously. I should say that we're uh, that we you know we just don't know what what they knew or what they were going to say. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about Jack Ruby? Uh, we always uh, his name always comes up. Yes. Uh, Ruby, of course, was the man who killed Oswald on national television. Sure. And over the last 50 years, uh, hard evidence has come out to prove that he was connected with organized crime. In fact, the House Committee in the 70s uh, definitely proved that he was connected with the Mafia. Uh, mm-hmm. Before the assassination, Ruby was receiving a lot of phone calls from high-level Mafia figures, and we don't know what those conversations were about, but we know that the calls were being made to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after he killed Oswald, the first people to visit him in the Dallas jail were Mafia people. Uh, <laughs> he himself said that there was a conspiracy in so many words when he was interviewed several times. He hinted that there was a conspiracy. He didn't say who was behind it. Uh-huh. But he told his psychiatrist that there had been a conspiracy and that he had been framed into killing Oswald. Uh, oh, so, wow. uh, Ruby died kind of suspiciously himself. He died of lung cancer, although he never smoked. And he told uh-huh. his his close friends and relatives that he felt like he had been injected with cancer cells. And it, people say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> they have proof now that the CIA was experimenting with injecting mice and uh, with cancer cells in the early 60s. So the CIA had that capability. And I'm not saying they did that to Ruby, but uh-huh. we don't know. He was being given injections in Parkland Hospital for pneumonia and for other uh, medical problems. So there's certainly the possibility is there that you know, he could have been injected with cancer, but we don't know. Oh, my gosh. This is all fantastic information, and this is all in your book. Uh, we're going to take a break right now and hear about your host. But when we come back with Jack Duffy, we're going to talk about uh, what actually proves that Oswald was innocent, and he's going to tell us who he believed kill JFK and why. We'll be right back with Jack Duffy. Who is January Jones? She is not a young... Uh, Jack, excuse me. I just hit the wrong thing on the switchboard. Okay. We won't do the introduction. Now we'll have... Lately, a there's about- a whining oh. epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. 
Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Whine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Whine at Amazon.com. Welcome back with Jack Duffy, and he is the author of a book called The Man from 2063. Uh, Jack, can you tell us about your website and where people can get your book? Certainly. The website is themanfrom2063.com. They can purchase the book off Amazon.com, from Barnes & Noble stores throughout the United States, and also from the publisher Tate Publishing. That's T-A-T-E Publishing.com. So we're also going to have an audio book coming out. I believe in May or June, so the book's going to be coming out in that format, too. Right now it's in Kindle and paperback. Is it in Kindle now? Yes. Okay, I will be ordering it this afternoon because I love reading about the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Can can you tell us what the title means? Well, it's a time travel book. Uh, I want to do a little disclaimer here. Stephen King wrote a book uh, about time travel and Kennedy. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, uh-huh. I did not uh, steal the idea from Stephen King. Uh, some people think, well, this guy just you know copied Stephen King. That's not the case. Uh, I was already finished, almost finished with my book when I heard what Stephen King was doing. I was kind of surprised that he was writing about the same kind of idea that I was using. Uh-huh. Luckily, our books are not anywhere close to being you know, the same type of book. His, his book has Oswald killing Kenny alone, where mine deals with the conspiracy side of it. Uh-huh. So I just want to make sure the listeners realize that I didn't like, you know, try to copy Stephen King. That's not what I did. Well, he, maybe he copied you for all we know. <laughs> Now, what uh, evidence in your book uh, proves that Oswald was innocent? Well, actually, there's there's quite a bit of evidence. Uh, Uh For one thing, a woman named Carolyn Arnold, who worked in the school book depository, saw Lee Harvey Oswald. She signed a sworn affidavit the afternoon Kennedy was killed in front of the police. Uh She had seen Oswald at 12.15 in the afternoon in the lunchroom eating his lunch. Uh, uh-huh. There was a clock on the wall in the lunchroom. That's how she knew what time it was. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time, outside in Dealey Plaza, uh, there were witnesses that were standing around waiting for the motorcade to arrive, and there was a uh, there was a clock on the top of the book depository. The uh-huh. Hertz rent car sign was on top of the school book depository. It's not there anymore, but at the, the day of the station, Hertz had a, a rent car sign on their uh, top of the book depository, and, and the sign flashed the time and temperature every few seconds. And that's how people knew what time it was because they were looking up and watching the clock on the top, top of the building. And there were uh-huh. witnesses outside who saw Oswald or saw a man within the sixth floor window with a high power rifle at twelve fifteen. At the same time, Oswald's being seen in the lunchroom by other people. Okay. So, if the times are correct, then Oswald can't be in two places at once. That's number one. Uh-huh. Uh, number two, after the assassination, Oswald was given a paraffin test, which is where they put hot wax on a person's face to see if there's any gunpowder residue from firing a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that test was negative on Oswald, which means that. It doesn't totally exonerate him, but you can't ignore that. Uh, it's very powerful mm-hmm. evidence that he didn't even fire a rifle. Uh, there would have been nitrates on his face had he fired a rifle, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's number two. Mm-hmm. Number three, uh, Oswald uh, uh, could not have been there for another reason, because uh, Geraldine Reed, who was the supervisor of the book depository, told one of the key researchers uh, in the late 60s, uh, that Oswald walked into her office a minute before the shots were fired uh, and mm-hmm. got changed for a Coke for the Coke machine <laughs> in the lunchroom. Okay. She told that to the Warren Commission, and they told her, well, you have to be wrong. There's no way you could be right, lady. And oh. she told this to Robert Groden, who's a good, good research friend of mine, and he uh-huh. told me that she told him that in person when he uh, interviewed her. So if she's correct, uh, then Oswald was getting changed for a Coke at the time the shooters were killing Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there you have three strong wow. pieces of evidence that exonerate Oswald if, if these people are correct. Are these people still alive? or? No, Geraldine Reed died, unfortunately, in the early 70s, and uh-huh. uh, I think Carol Arnold's still alive. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, this is just uh, evidence that you just can't ignore. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. it, it proves that this man couldn't have been the shooter on the sixth floor if they're correct. Absolutely. Well, no. Okay, now we know that it wasn't Oswald from your book, yeah. and I happen to believe that, too. 
who do you believe killed Kennedy, uh, JFK, and why was he killed? Well, it's all speculation, but based mm-hmm. on 40 years of research uh, and what I put in the book, I believe that the evidence strongly supports members of the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, rogue elements, I, I, maybe I need to rephrase that, rogue elements of the CIA, okay. uh, working yeah. with organized crime figures and also mm-hmm. with anti-Catholic Cubans. I think all three groups, elements of all three groups were in on the conspiracy, and, there's, mm-hmm. and I'll go into all that in detail in a minute. Sure. Uh, the reason why I believe that is because uh, in, the, in September of 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald was seen in the lobby of a hotel in Dallas uh, with a man named David Phillips. David Phillips was the head of the CIA's assassination program at the time, uh, for mm-hmm. the Western Hemisphere, and the reason why we know this meeting took place is because another anti-Castro Cuban who was working with Phillips and the CIA was there to meet Phillips and walked up and saw Oswald talking with Phillips. Uh, according to this Cuban, he testified years later about it, uh, he recognized Oswald on television after Oswald was arrested for killing Kennedy, and he remembered seeing Oswald with Phillips. Mm-hmm. So if this guy's correct, then we yeah. have a, we have a, evidence of a meeting with Oswald why would a man like David Phillips be associating with Lee Harvey Oswald, of all people, weeks before yeah. the assassination? That's never been explained to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oswald was seen uh, with two other anti-Castro Cubans in late September of 63 at the doorstep of a woman named Sylvia Odio, who was a uh, Cuban refugee. She's still alive and lives in Dallas today. So mm-hmm. She testified before the Warren Commission. She testified before the House Committee, and she's never changed her story in 50 years. Mm-hmm. She told uh, the same story uh, to re- uh, investigators. She said that three men showed up at her apartment one night in late September of 63. Two of them were anti-Castro Cubans, one was an American, and the Cubans introduced the American to her as Leon Oswald. She got a good look at Oswald's face. She got a good look uh-huh. at the other two Cubans' faces. Uh, she didn't help them. They were looking for to raise money to fight Castro, and she couldn't help them, so they left. And the next day, the, one of the Cubans called her up on the telephone and asked her what she thought about Oswald, and she didn't know what to say. And this Cuban went on on the phone and said, well, this guy's an ex-Marine. He's a sharpshooter with a rifle. He's kind of crazy. And he told us that we Cubans don't have any guts. We should have killed Kennedy after the Bay of Pigs. And then he hung up the phone. And she, didn't, she didn't know what to think about it at the time. And then when she saw Oswald on television after the assassination, she recognized him as the, the American that was with these two Cubans at her doorstep. And that, her, her credibility has never been destroyed in 50 years. And if she's telling the truth, now we have a connection with two militant anti-Castro Cubans in the weeks before the assassination, one of whom calls up and talks about killing Kennedy on the telephone. Yeah. Uh, the mafia was definitely involved in it because of Ruby, number one. Uh, uh-huh. Ruby was told, in my opinion, ordered by the mob to kill Oswald. The mob uh, was working with the CIA back in the 60s to kill Castro. That's been definitely proven. Uh, mm-hmm. Several high-level mafia figures had made threats to kill Kennedy because Bobby Kennedy was going after them as attorney general. He was prosecuting the uh, organized crime like nobody else in history had ever done before. Yeah. And they had a vested motive for getting rid of the Kennedys for that reason. Uh, Oswald was associated with Carlos Marcello down in New Orleans at one time, who was the head of the New, uh, New Orleans mafia. Uh, Bobby Kennedy had had Marcello deported to Guatemala, and then Marcello came back into the United States and had made threats to kill both JFK and RFK. Uh, Marcello later on was taped in a prison, uh, uh, in his prison cell by an informant who was put in there with him, and supposedly this informant said that Marcello confessed that he had been part of the conspiracy to kill JFK. Okay, yeah. Wow, you have really got some great research and some fantastic information that you're sharing with us. Now, the big question most people have, what about LBJ? Was he part of this, or was he just... uh, a witness to an assassination. Well, I have no hard proof that LBJ was part of the conspiracy. I mean, there have been books that have been written that suggest that. Uh, what I do know is that I talked with uh, Madeline Brown before she passed away. She was uh, Johnson's mistress at the time, and she told me and many other researchers that Johnson made a comment to her the day before Kennedy was killed, and according to her, Johnson told her that he said words to the effect that, hey, honey, after tomorrow the, the Kennedys will never embarrass me again. That's not a threat. That's a promise, and she didn't know what he was talking about. Uh-huh. He, said, he said, just wait and see, and then, of course, Kennedy was killed the next day, and then she started thinking about what Johnson had said to her, and yeah. she started asking him more about it, and he never would say anything. Uh, supposedly, according to her, he later on hinted to the, the people in the government had done it, you know, the CIA people and organized crime figures had taken Kennedy out. So uh, all I can say about LBJ is that he may possibly have had foreknowledge that, the Kennedy, that Kennedy was going to be assassinated. That's as far as I'm willing to say. Yeah, I, don't have, yeah. I don't have any proof that he was part of the conspiracy, but he may have been. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I think subliminally a lot of people think it was uh, LBJ because he had the most to gain. But then when you look at all the people that were uh, in line to get the Kennedys, they had enemies coming and going. Um, 
I think that uh, LBJ, and uh, you know, the other thing is, if he had ordered this assassination, I certainly don't think he would have done it in Texas. You know, that's a little awkward. <laughs> well, actually, Texas was the perfect place to do it because he had a lot of power down in Texas. He was from Texas originally, and uh-huh. a lot of friends, a lot of his friends were down there in Dallas. Yeah. And, uh, so actually, it's one of the reasons why I think that they, they had it done in Texas because uh, mm-hmm. Johnson had all the power down there to control yeah. things. Now, now, why did you write your book? And, and this is such an interesting question because, it, I mean, you obviously have had so much research and so much information. I think it's wonderful that you're sharing this. Uh, what motivated you to put it on paper? Well, I always wanted to write a book about my research. Uh, unfortunately, the case has been saturated with books over the last 50 years. There's been over 1,000 books written on Kennedy and the assassination. Wow. Uh, I didn't want to repeat or rehash what other people had written already because there's no reason to do that. It's already been done by other people. But mm-hmm. what I thought was unique was to take a situation where I could combine fiction with nonfiction, uh, I guess they call it historical fiction, combine mm-hmm. uh, real information with fictional people and a fictional story, but make it believable. Uh, and that's what I decided to do to make an entertaining book. I used time travel because I always wanted to go back in a time machine to see what really happened to Kennedy and possibly prevent it. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, people laugh about time travel, but actually a professor that I've spoke with over the phone that's done research on time travel, he teaches up at the University of Connecticut, he told me that in his opinion time travel will be possible before the end of this century. Wow. So maybe it's not so far-fetched and like people uh, think it is. What, so, the, what a great uh, concept, historical fiction with time travel. I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> well, a lot of the book is not fiction, and I want the listeners to be aware of that, that they may think, well, this is just a completely made-up thing. No, it's not. Uh, a lot of the characters are based on real people. A lot of the events in the book are based on actual things that really did happen. Uh, mm-hmm. What I've done is just speculated about how it all fit together and how it was done. Uh, mm-hmm. I think what, the, what makes the book entertaining is that I, I put in a very believable scenario of how I think Kennedy was killed and by who I think did it and how they were able to get away with it. And then, the, of course, the hero of the book goes back and changes everything through time travel and uh, Kennedy oh. doesn't die and uh, history gets changed at the end. And uh, I don't want to spoil the ending for everybody, but uh, I think it would make a good movie. Oh, yeah, I, I think it would. I can't believe that there hasn't been a movie made for the 50th anniversary. I think we will see a lot of uh, documentaries and a lot of television. I think this will be quite a quite an event in, the, uh, in, in November this year. Um, now, do you believe Oswald killed Officer Tippett? Well, that's a whole another controversial murder today. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, the Warren Commission said that he killed Tippett. Uh, most, uh, a lot of people believe he did, but I, I'm not totally convinced, and I'll tell you why. Uh, they've done tests over the years to see whether or not Oswald could have even been there in time to kill Tippett. Tippett. He was arrested for killing Tippett originally. He wasn't arrested for killing Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, after they arrested him for Tippett, they linked him to Kennedy later on that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tippett was uh, out of his area of patrol for some reason. He was not in the, where he was killed was not his normal area of patrol. And to this day, that's never been explained what he was doing in Oak Cliff. Uh, that's yeah. another suspicious thing. Uh, Oswald uh, supposedly gets there in time to shoot him at 115. But the problem with that is that uh, recently a guy who worked at the Texas Theater where Oswald was arrested came forward and said that he was serving popcorn to Oswald at 115 in the theater where he was arrested. Now, if that guy's correct, then Oswald could have been being shot at the same time by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a test to see if it was possible for Oswald to even get there on foot, and the test proved that he, they took the shortest possible route from his rooming house to where Tippett was killed, and they had a, a, an actor walk the distance or actually run at a fast trot, mm-hmm. and the guy couldn't even get there in time to kill Tippett on foot. Oh. So Oswald must have had help or else took a car or somebody picked him up and drove him to the spot if he did it. Uh, witnesses, witnesses who saw the shootings, a lot of them said it was Oswald, but then there are several witnesses who said it wasn't Oswald, that uh, the man was a totally different individual that didn't even look like Oswald. They found two sets of uh, bullet cartridges at the scene, two from an automatic, two from a revolver. Oswald had a revolver, not an automatic, so that's never been totally explained where the two automatic shells oh came from. Oh, my gosh. The bullets, that, the bullets that went into Tippett have never been ballistically matched up to Oswald's revolver to this day. Um, they never could match them up. Uh, Oswald had nitrates on the inside of his palms of his hands, uh, which would indicate that there might have been you know, gunpowder there. But when you shoot a revolver, everybody knows that the, the, the nitrates come out on the, on the outside of your hands when you're holding a gun. Uh-huh. So how, how does he get nitrates on the inside of his hand if he fired a pistol? That's right. never been explained. Another researcher even found out that they took fingerprints off the hood of Tippett's uh, squad car, Mm-hmm. And the, t- the supposedly the fingerprints do not match Lee Harvey Oswald's fingerprints. So uh, there's a lot of discrepancy here about whether or not he actually killed Tippett too. So that's a whole other 
The whole thing's just unbelievably uh, confusing. Oh, it is. It is, and it gets more and more confusing. And your 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 book sounds just fascinating. I can't wait to get it. We're going to take a break and hear from one of my sponsors, and then we're going to uh, come back with Jack Duffy, the author of The Man from 2063, a time travel historical fiction book on the assassination of John Kennedy. We'll be right back. Are you a fitness professional, a trainer, or a coach? Would you like consistent and timely updates on your team's performance? We have a completely customizable app that can give you real-time information via the Internet or your handheld phone. Track the performance of your client's progress with their physical fitness regimen. Track team members' performance or schedule a workout session. Meet up at the gym, on the bike trail, or wherever your physical activities take you. The app is called Socially Fit or SoFit and can be found on the iTunes store. Look for the blue Socially Fit icon. When combined with data analysis capabilities, you not only feel the effects of your fitness routine, you also see the graphical progress of your results. The app makes the complex simple, so that more of your time is spent sculpting your physique with less time tracking your results with old-fashioned pen and paper. Download it today to begin a new year with data to show your progress in meeting your goals. Are you socially fit? I hope so. I hope everyone's getting socially fit this year. I know I'm trying to. Now, um, Jack Duffy, tell us, in your opinion, do you think Oswald was working for the CIA? I mean, why would they hire someone like him? <laughs> well, there's evidence that, that that's true. Uh, it, some of this evidence just came out in a recent book called JFK and the Unspeakable, by an, uh, an excellent book by a guy named James Douglas, and he uh-huh. found out or researched, uh, contacted people who were at the, the Otsugi uh, Marine Base in Japan where Oswald was stationed, and mm-hmm. they told him that they know for a fact that Oswald was recruited by the CIA to go into Russia and that he was on the CIA payroll as an agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a document that came out right after the assassination in March of 64, written by John McCone, who was the head of the CIA director, was classified top secret, but it was released uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago. And in, the, in this memo, McCone told the Warren Commission that Oswald had been sent to the Soviet Union by the CIA to spy for them. Uh, he admitted it in his memo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oswald, in my opinion, was working with the CIA. I think he was sent over there to pretend to be a defector because the CIA mm-hmm. had a program at the time where they were sending uh, young, uh, poor, white American males into the, into the Soviet Union on the pretense that they wanted to defect. Uh-huh. This program actually existed. We know it existed because it's come out over the last 50 years. Uh-huh. And I believe Oswald was recruited into that program. Uh, it's, we've never been able to explain why how Oswald gets into the Soviet Union so easily during the height of the <laughs> yeah. war for an American to go over there and get in like that is unheard of. Yeah. And not only that, he also uh-huh. is able to get out of the Soviet Union with his wife and his child uh, right. without any trouble, which is unbelievable. Uh, uh-huh. When he gets back to the United States, he's not even debriefed by anybody. And get this guy supposedly said he was a traitor, wanted to defend, give away military information to the Russians, and he lands back in New York on a on an on a ocean liner. And nobody's there to even talk to him or take him into custody or arrest him or even confront him. I mean, the FBI, the CIA showed no interest in him when he got back to the United States. That that doesn't make any sense. No. So there's no. a lot of evidence to me that points that he possibly was working with the CIA in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now tell us, who is David Phillips? He was the guy I mentioned earlier who was the head of the CIA's assassination program. He uh, he he testified before the House committee in the mid-70s, and he denied that he'd ever met Oswald, and he was being grilled by some prosecutors, and they they totally uh, tore him apart uh, in cross-examination, and he left the room because he was being uh, beaten up so bad by the prosecutors he didn't want to answer any more questions. So he definitely was lying under oath uh, about his knowledge of Oswald, his association with Oswald, uh, and then he died... Uh, not too long ago, and he told his brother, according to one of the researchers on his desk, that he had been in Dallas on the day of the assassination. <laughs> so, so that's a little bit too suspicious to just ignore. To what's he doing in Dallas on the very day that Kennedy gets killed, and you know, he has yeah. nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. He's and, a mysterious person too. Oh, there are so many uh, the cast of characters. That's unbelievable. You know, you couldn't create them. <laughs> no, you can't. I'd like to talk about I'd like to talk about some of the evidence that I that I believe proves a shot from the grassy knoll. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, number one, there were over 50 eyewitnesses who uh-huh. were standing there who all said that the fatal shot came from behind the picket fence on the grassy knoll, the one that killed the president. Uh-huh. Uh, you just can't ignore all those people. I've interviewed several of those people. Uh, Bill Newman was the closest witness to the limousine at the time Kenny was hit in the head. 
He was 10 feet away from the car when it happened. He was standing right there watching it and right in front of him. And over the years, he has indicated, and he told me that he is, um, he certainly to this day still believes the possibility exists that the bullet came from behind him because he was right in the line of fire with his family, and he hit the deck uh-huh. with his children. And, of course, right behind him was the grassy knoll. Yeah. Uh, Jean Hill, who I spoke with, she unfortunately passed away several years ago, but she's the lady in the red raincoat that you see on the Zapruder film. She was looking right at the grassy knoll when the shot was fired. Uh-huh. She ran up there with dozens of other people to try to catch the gunman, and she told me that there's no doubt in her mind that sh- that, that shot came from behind the picket fence because she saw the flash of the rifle go off. She heard the shot and saw the gun go off. Mm-hmm. And she told me there's no doubt in her mind. In fact, she was giving, she was threatened over the phone, uh, giving death threats over the telephone for many years, really? warning her to shut up about what she had seen. That's what she told me. She told me she was threatened that they would kill her if she didn't shut up about what she had seen. Oh, my uh, God. Several people were threatened with their life. Uh-huh. Uh, for uh-huh. one thing, uh, Dr. Perry, uh, just to mention another individual here, he was a key surgeon that worked on Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one that did the tracheotomy on President Kennedy's throat, and there was a bullet mm-hmm. hole in President Kennedy's throat that that Perry said was an entrance wound, and mm-hmm. the other doctors all agreed with him. Uh, so if that's correct, then that's another shot that came from the front, not from the rear. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem with this is that Perry, once he said this, uh, started being uh, torn apart by the media immediately, saying, well, you're wrong, doctor, the shots all came from the rear, that couldn't have been an entrance wound. And over the years, they beat him down so bad and threatening that he finally changed his story to conform to the government's version of what happened, but he never really believed it. Uh-huh. Uh, I talked with another doctor who knows Perry, and uh-huh. he told me that Dr. Perry went into seclusion after he retired and would never talk about the assassination because he had been threatened himself that he would oh. be killed if he didn't shut up about this. Wow. Uh, this is coming from another surgeon. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, But getting back to the grassy knoll, uh, mm-hmm. the, one of the, the first officers that ran up there after mm-hmm. the shot fired uh, confronted a man behind the fence uh, who was uh, dressed like a Secret Service or an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, this guy pulled out a Secret Service badge and showed it to the policeman and said, I'm a Secret Service agent. I'm up here you know, looking around to try to catch the, the shooter. Yeah. And the police officer just assumed he was legitimate and he didn't arrest him or detain him in any way. And the problem is that it turns out all the legitimate Secret Service agents that were in Dallas went to the hospital with President Kennedy. None of them stayed behind to look for the assassin. Uh-huh. So whoever this guy was, he was a, an imposter. Yeah. Um, so that's never been explained who this man was. He probably was the gunman that killed the president. Um, uh-huh. uh, Sam Holland, who was another key witness, uh, was standing on the railroad overpass. He was a railroad employee. He saw the fatal shot come off the knoll. He heard the heard it clearly, saw it clearly. He ran back there to see if he could catch the man. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you were, but the morning of the assassination, it had rained in the Dallas Fort there, and there was nothing but mud behind the fence there at the time. Now it's all paved over if you go there today. It's a paved over parking lot. At uh-huh. the time, the shooting was all dirt back there, so it was all muddy from the rain, and he ran back to this spot where he'd seen the shot, and he saw muddy footprints where somebody had been standing behind the fence in the exact place where he saw the shoot, the shot come from. Uh-huh. So there's evidence there was somebody standing there. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the first officer that ran up there smelled gunpowder in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how do you <laughs> there's no shot up there? Um, yeah. NBC also filmed, uh, there was an NBC t- television camera who was filming the motorcade that caught the gun smoke coming off the knoll in the film. Oh uh, Robert, Rose, Robert Rose actually got uh, frames from that film that showed gun smoke coming off the knoll. So, I mean, you have all this evidence, uh, and as if that's not enough, Bobby Hargis, uh, who was the motorcycle patrolman riding to the left and rear of the limousine, was splattered with Kennedy's brain matter and blood from the impact of the headshot. Yeah. And he has told researchers over the years that he knows for a fact, or he believes that the shot came from the right front because he was right in the line of fire. Uh, a shot from the rear, if it was Oswald, would not have blown brain matter to the left and rear into a policeman's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, laws mm-hmm. of physics just show that's impossible. So, right. uh, you know, you have to explain if there's no conspiracy, why did the brain matter and blood all yeah. go on the trunk of the car? Why did Jackie go on the rear of the car to pick up a piece of the president's skull? Oh, all that's yeah. impossible with a shot from the rear. And mm-hmm. as if that's not enough, Bobby, uh, a man named uh, Harper, a young kid, a TCU student, uh, picked up a piece of the president's occipital bone 30 oh feet God. left and rear where he was hit the day before, uh-huh. and he took it to his dad, who was a doctor in Dallas. They identified it as a piece of occipital bone, which is the back of your skull, uh-huh. and they identified it as part of Kennedy's skull. Uh, how do you explain a piece of skull being blown 30 feet, which is a long distance, to the left yeah. and rear of the limousine if the shot came from the rear? That is just absolutely impossible under the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Now, what does um, what does Clint Hill, who was uh, a Secret Service agent assigned to Jacqueline Kennedy, what does he had to what has he said about this assassination? Well, I met Clint Hill last November. He came to Dallas oh. and spoke about uh-huh. this. Uh, 
He wrote mm-hmm. a book recently about his uh, association with Jackie Kennedy. Uh, uh-huh. Mr. Hill, uh, in the 70s, when he was interviewed, uh, according to what I, my research, uh, he told people that he believed that the fatal shot had come from the right front, you know, from the Grassy Knoll area. He mentions the back of the president's head being blown out when he jumped in the car. Uh-huh. Uh, that was the first thing he noticed was the right rear of the president's skull was gone. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was, that was his testimony. And he, puts, he even admits that in his book that he just wrote. Uh, but today, uh, for some reason, he doesn't believe that anymore. Uh, because, really? Uh, yes, I asked him a question about that in Dallas, mm-hmm. and he said that uh, he's convinced that all the shots came from the room. There was no conspiracy. I didn't oh. argue with him about it, but I thought no. it's kind of interesting that he's changed his you know, his belief on this thing after 30 years. So, uh, But anyway, yeah. he's a nice man. I enjoy talking with him, but uh, mm-hmm. he's changed his opinion now for some reason. That's very interesting that he would uh, <clears throat> change his story. But, of course, you know, with people getting death threats, <laughs> I would imagine it would be pretty hard to stick to a story that wasn't the accepted story. Uh, why, what What do you think about the Kennedys in this assassination? You know, they've never really spoken about it or voiced their opinions. What do you think they thought? Well, Robert Kennedy Jr. just came out recently in Dallas uh-huh. and said he did not believe the Warren Commission, that he believed there was a conspiracy after all these years. He's the first member of the Kennedy family to ever come out publicly and say this. Uh-huh. Uh, he said his father, Senator Robert Kennedy, who, of course, got shot and killed, uh, never really believed the Warren Commission report and that he was convinced it was a conspiracy. Uh, I know mm-hmm. Robert Kennedy was doing his own investigation before he was killed into his brother's death. And mm-hmm. he always told he always told people that uh, that have come forward to talk about it that he never believed the one gunman theory. He always thought that there was more to it. So obviously the Kennedy mm-hmm. family had their own doubts about it. So there's finally uh, one of their own uh, family members to come out. You know, um, let's go back to Oswald again. What about this uh, Oswald imposter in Mexico City? You hear and read about that. Is that a yes. fact? Yes, that's very interesting. Uh, at the same time Oswald was supposed to be in Dallas, uh, according to the Warren Commission, uh, a man mm-hmm. who said he was Oswald was being seen in Mexico City going into the Cuban and Russian embassies. Uh, we know this because the man's phone calls were taped by the CIA, and the, on, on the, on the uh, tape recordings he identifies himself as Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also was photographed by surveillance cameras, and we have the photographs, and the man is clearly not Oswald, it's somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. So who the man was has never been totally uh, Revealed or identified after 50 years, we still don't know to this day who he really was or what he was doing using Oswald's name. Uh, mm-hmm. The CIA claimed that they had erased the, the tape recordings of the man's voice, but then that was proven to be false because the House Committee found out they didn't get erased and they listened to the tapes. Uh-huh. And the man's voice is clearly not Lee Harvey Oswald's voice. Uh-huh. Uh, so here you have a situation where some guys down there impersonating Oswald several weeks before Kennedy's killed for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know what the reason is, but it's very suspicious. Yeah. Uh, it goes back to another reason why I think the CIA might have been controlling Oswald or working with Oswald. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you hear so much about him being such a, a sharpshooter, great marksmanship. Is that actually a fact? Was he that good? No, no. In fact, it was just the opposite. Uh, the, Warren <laughs> Commission, the Warren Commission wanted everybody to believe that, that Oswald was some fantastic shot, and that you know it wasn't any problem for him to kill Kennedy. The problem is that the weapon he was using, this 6.5-millimeter Mannlicher Carcano rifle, is is one of the worst uh, weapons that you could ever pick to shoot at a moving target, according to people who are knowledgeable about firearms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oswald, uh, in the Marine Corps, when he was shooting in the Marines, uh, he barely qualified as a sharpshooter. He, he scored one point above the minimum to be a sharpshooter, which <laughs> is the second category of, uh, of, of, of the rankings. And then when he left the Marines, he barely qualified as a marksman, which is the lowest category of shooter. Uh, uh-huh. Several Marines who were interviewed over the years that saw Oswald shoot uh, in the Marine Corps laughed about it when they were told, you know, that he when they saw that he killed Kennedy, they said that uh, in their opinion it was impossible because they'd seen him shoot and he couldn't even hit stationary targets on the rifle range, much less a moving limousine. Uh, they told several researchers that in their opinion it was impossible for Oswald to have done it because he was just a poor shot. They saw him shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Warren Commission did their own test. This is interesting. Uh, yeah. They they actually used Oswald's weapon. Uh, they had eight. Uh, they had three riflemen who were expert shots, uh, trying uh-huh. to duplicate what Oswald did. These these shooters fired 18 rounds using Oswald's gun and scope. They fired three rounds using just the iron sights on the gun. Here's uh-huh. what the results were: the shooters missed the head and the neck area of the target 18 out of 18 times using the telescopic sight because it was out of line, and two out of three times they missed when they used the iron sights. That's how bad this weapon was, and some of the shots missed the target completely. 
Uh, they were also able to take as long as they wanted for their first shot, which Oswald didn't have that luxury. They uh-huh. were only, they were firing from a height of 30 feet. He was firing from a height of 60 feet. Oh my they were gosh. also they were also shooting at still stationary targets, and he was shooting at a moving target, and they still couldn't yeah. do what he supposedly did. The top sniper in the world uh, at the one time, Carlos Hathcock, recreated what Oswald did or tried to do uh, at the Quantico Marine Base uh, Sniper School, and he was the best sniper in the world at the time. And he his exact words were. He said, we reconstructed the angle, the moving target, the time limit. Uh, I don't know how many times we tried it, but we couldn't duplicate what the Warren Commission said Oswald did. And this is the top sniper in the country that couldn't do it. So how does a guy like Oswald do it? Yeah, it's totally impossible. He truly was a patsy. This is fantastic information uh, from Jack Duffy. We're going to take a break and hear about an organization that I support. And when we come back with Jack, we're going to talk about Jim, his opinion of Jim Garrison's investigation, the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, and then he's going to tell us what happened to the original Nicks and much more films. We'll be right back with Jack Duffy. What is AATH? The Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor is a nonprofit, member-driven, international community of humor and laughter professionals and enthusiasts. AATH provides its members the education, cutting-edge resources, and supportive community they need to excel in the practice and promotion of healthy humor. AATH welcomes anyone who is interested in learning more about the application and benefits of therapeutic humor. Members include scholars, psychologists, counselors, nurses, social workers, physicians, educators, clergy, hospital clowns, and many others who incorporate humor in their life and work. AATH was created to disseminate information about humor and laughter, laughter play and well-being, provide a caring, supportive community of humor professionals and enthusiasts. Check out our AATH at www.aath.org today. Welcome back with Jack Duffy, the author of The Man from 2063, I'm going to order it today, and I highly recommend it. Uh, everyone should order this book, because I think, Jack, you may have written the definitive book on the Kennedy assassination, and it's a historical fiction time travel um, book. So I think it will be very, very fascinating. Now tell us, what's your opinion of Jim Garrison's investigation? Uh, well, uh, that's interesting because uh, Garrison is the only man who ever uh, had a trial on the Kennedy assassination, and uh, that was in 1969 in New Orleans. And of course, the movie JFK was based on Garrison's investigation. Uh, I never got to meet Garrison, but I've met people who knew him. Uh, I believe he was on the right track uh, as far as as far as the conspiracy is concerned. Uh, he also believed that the CIA had killed Kennedy. Uh, I just don't agree with uh, Clay Shaw uh, being the one that did it. Uh, that's uh-huh. what he was prosecuting in New Orleans. Of course, Shaw was acquitted by a jury. Uh, David Ferry, who was in New Orleans, uh, who was also a, a very key suspect, died suspiciously right before Garrison could bring him into the trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ferry committed suicide in his apartment in New Orleans uh, suspiciously. Uh, he, he left two signed suicide notes, which most people who kill themselves don't type up suicide notes. They handwrite them most of the time. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ferry was a very important witness, though, that died all of a sudden, very conveniently. Uh, he uh-huh. knew Oswald personally. Uh, he was in Oswald's Civil Air Patrol. Ferry was a pilot, uh, and there was some hard evidence to link Ferry to Oswald in the possible conspiracy. Uh, but that aside, I think Garrison was on the right trail. I just don't think he had enough evidence to prove what he was trying to do. Uh, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there wasn't a conspiracy because he lost the trial. Uh He's the one that forced the Zapruder film out, which was one of the best things he did because the, yeah. the time life had to release the film. And uh-huh. that, once that film was out, then the genie yeah. was out of the bottle. Yeah. Everybody saw that film, and then uh, now we know yeah. why the film was locked up for seven or eight years because you know, the government didn't want people to see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now tell me, what's your opinion of uh, Oliver Stone's movie, JFK? Because he kind of implies in that movie at the end that it was possibly government. Right. I think JFK was a great movie. Uh, I don't agree with everything in it, uh, but I think uh-huh. 80% of it was pretty accurate. Really? Uh, it wasn't all a bunch of baloney that was made up like the media wanted you to believe. It was all based uh-huh. on hard research. Uh, I agree with Stone's conclusion that it was you know, a conspiracy, obviously, and that Oswald wasn't, wasn't the shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so overall, I thought it was an excellent movie. Uh, the Clay Shaw thing, of course, I just didn't agree with that part of it, but other than that, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, for a lot of young people, 
that movie is what defines the JFK assassination because they haven't been exposed to a lot of the other information, and Oliver Stone really put it out there. Um, yeah, and, and he did. It was a very, uh, I think everyone in the country probably has seen that movie. Um, now, what happened to the original uh, films that were, uh, that you, you state there, the Nixon, much more films? Which films were these? Those films were purchased uh, by UPI uh, from the original owners. And what's interesting about this is that Robert Groen, who's a friend of mine, who's the photo expert on the Kennedy case, he, he uh, had seen the originals at one time and made copies of them. So he's got first-generation copies of the original films. Now the original films have disappeared. Well, they're, they're lost is what he told me. Uh, uh-huh. They were put in a bank vault somewhere, and apparently the only man who knew where it was, uh, where they were, died of a heart attack. So now they don't know what vault they're in or where they are. Uh-huh. We don't have the original films anymore, or at least we can't find them. And Robert was telling me that it's very important that if we could get a hold of those two films with the technology that we have today, we might be able to flush out to see if there was a sniper on the grass. You know, because the next film, both mm-hmm. of them popped the grass, you know, in the background. And that's why they're important, because uh, if there was a gunman up there, it's possible that uh, with the technology they might be able to prove that there was a shooter up there, but we don't have the films anymore. Oh, that's a shame, because that really would uh, help solve this uh, assassination of the last century. I mean, what a what an amazing um, amount of research you've done. I can see that this has probably been uh, one of your biggest uh, cases that you've worked on. And I think you're a fantastic expert. What are you doing now uh, to promote the book? Are you speaking at a lot of uh, shows and things? I've done a lot of radio interviews. I've talked uh-huh. to groups around the Dallas-Fort area. So that's mainly what I've been doing to, to promote the book, uh, uh-huh. doing things on you know, on the social networks to promote the book, websites. Uh, so uh, I've done uh, a lot of publicity on it to try to push the book, and it's, it's done okay. It's going pretty well. Uh, uh-huh. I hope it'll become a, a, a successful book, and I think the people who all the book reviews that I've seen so far from people who've read it have given it five stars or four stars. They've all liked it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I hope that all those uh, my million listeners out there, I hope that they will uh, buy your book and support the book. And I'm really hoping that uh, we can have you back on the show again, Jack, because in November around the uh, 50th anniversary, I suspect that you're going to be a very, very busy man. 